This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, hey, this morning we are going to jump back into the Gospel of Matthew, picking up where we left off a couple of years ago in a new sermon series that we're calling Signs and Wonders. And while each of the four gospel writers, right, you've got the synoptics of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you've got John, they, they all tell of the life and the teachings of Jesus, they each go about it differently. Each wrote to a slightly different audience, each making a slightly different point, therefore each accentuating and highlighting slightly different aspects in the life and teachings of Jesus. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus, and so he's writing from a firsthand account to a predominantly Jewish audience, showing Jesus as, as the continuation of the Old Testament and the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. And Matthew, he begins, he begins with a genealogy, showing Jesus as the son of David, Right, the promised messianic king who would, who would reign over God's kingdom and also as the son of Abraham, the promised offspring through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. And Matthew supports this rather significant claim by telling stories, telling stories of Jesus, of Jesus speaking with the authority of God as a prophet like Moses and stories of Jesus embodying the very presence of God as, as Emmanuel, of God with us. But what you'll notice as you become more familiar with Matthew's gospel is you start to notice some inconsistencies. You're going to notice how some of the stories appear out of order compared to the way Matthew and Luke tell their story. But that's it's on purpose. Uh, see, Matthew has carefully curated these stories thematically and theologically, not necessarily chronologically. He's bringing a collection of similar stories together and arranging them to tell larger stories, which, if we're honest, that's what good storytellers do, don't they? Especially when you're telling a story about a person in writing a biography, you gather these stories together. And he follows these collections of stories with collections of teachings from Jesus. And he tells five of these larger collections of stories throughout his gospel, each followed by a teaching discourse. And this first collection of stories, it introduces us to the arrival of, of God's son, the messianic king Jesus, and the arrival of God's kingdom that Jesus says is now at hand. It is, it is in their midst, but not in full. Not yet. And he follows this with a, a collection of, of teachings on how we are to live as, as followers of Jesus, as, as citizens of his kingdoms in a discourse that we more commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew writes to the crowds after this, they were, they were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. He was teaching with the authority of God. And that leads us into the second collection of stories and teachings that we're going to look at in this series, bringing together stories of signs and wonders throughout chapters 8 and 9. These supernatural stories that, that give us a glimpse into the, the redemptive and healing nature of this kingdom that has come, giving a, a, us a glimpse into the authority 
that Jesus has over this kingdom as its king and giving us a glimpse into those whom he has welcomed into his kingdom. And he arranges these stories in three groups of three. Matthew, you'll come to see he loves threes. And between each group of three, there's an interlude on what it means to follow Jesus. But then Matthew, he follows these, this collection of, of stories in chapters 8 and 9 with a collection of teachings in chapter 10, uh, the second discourse that we call the mission discourse, giving his 12 disciples the authority to go and do the very same thing that he has shown them, casting out demons and healing every disease. And this first grouping of three stories here in chapter 8, Again, they not only give us a glimpse into the kingdom and a glimpse into the authority of the king over this kingdom, they give us a glimpse of those whom Jesus has welcomed into his kingdom. As Matthew tells stories of Jesus caring for three of the most marginalized groups of people in first century Jewish culture, a leper, a Gentile, and a woman. These were outcasts at that time. People viewed as having little to no value. And yet this is who Jesus chose to show compassion to, bringing them not only physical healing as we're going to see, but social and spiritual restoration, bringing them back into the covenant community of God as a part of his people. And we're going to begin this series looking at this very first story this morning, that of Jesus healing a leper. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and take your Bibles out. We're going to be back in the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 8 in those first four verses. And look here down with me, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. He he begins saying, and and when, when Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. At this point, Jesus, he's he's already a bit of a celebrity. Uh, At the end of chapter 4, Matthew writes how Jesus, he he went through all the region of Galilee, uh, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and then healing every disease and affliction among the people, to the point that he... uh, that his fame spread. People were talking uh, about how he had, he had healed people, it says, afflicted with every disease and oppressed by demons. And so people, they, they flocked to him, hoping that, that he would heal them. But there's more going on here in this verse than just geographical movement down the mountain. Now, there's theological movement here as well. Remember back in chapter 5 when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount series, it says Jesus, he went up the mountain and he sat down and there he taught those who were following him, showing Jesus as the true and better Moses, as Keller would say. Who in Exodus 20, remember, uh, Moses, he went up the mountain and he went up the mountain to, to meet with God, to hear from God, to receive God's law. But Jesus, Jesus ascended a mountain not to meet with God, but as God. Not to hear from God, but to speak with the authority of God. Not to receive God's law, but as the fulfillment of God's law. And so as Matthew transitions us into a second collection of stories, we see Jesus descend down the mountain. He comes down from on high, this this downward incarnational movement of God's presence down among his people, walking among his people, reminding us that this is, in fact, Emmanuel, God with us, who, who came to us, who came for us, who came as one of us and dwelt among us. 
And he says in verse 2, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And here we see the, the leper's request that he makes to Jesus, which, if we're honest, on the surface, doesn't sound that out of an or- the ordinary. Again, he's likely heard the stories of Jesus healing all kinds of people, and he's like, why don't I give it a try? And yet there's something unique in this story that leads Matthew to not only include this story, but to begin with this story. So leprosy uh, today uh, is a disease uh, that we commonly refer to as Hansen's disease. It's a bacterial infection that causes nerve damage and often manifests itself with, with skin lesions and tissue loss, uh, loss of feeling in your extremities, and even uh, in severe cases can lead to a loss of extremities, of fingers and toes, uh, ears and and nose even. Uh, But leprosy in this time was a much broader category, a much broader range of skin disorders. Uh, Really, almost anything that had a visible manifestation on your skin was put into this bucket, including things like dermatitis, ringworm, lupus, even even eczema uh, was included in here. And what makes leprosy unique is how virtually no other disease carried the stigma that this did in the Jewish community. For one, it was believed to be highly contagious. And it was also highly regulated by Jewish law with very stringent guidelines on how and where those with leprosy were allowed to live. An entire chapter in Leviticus, chapter 13, is dedicated to the laws of leprosy. And so once the symptoms began, you were to go to the priest for examination. And if they suspected you of being potentially infected, you were to quarantine for up to 14 days. Does this sound a little familiar? And afterwards, if it was gone, you were declared clean and you could go back about your business. But if the symptoms persisted, the priest would declare you unclean, effectively handing down the equivalent of a social and spiritual death sentence to this person due to the incurable nature of this disease to the point that lepers were referred by some as dead men walking as the living dead they were essentially living zombies of the time and they were banished from society they were forced to live outside the city walls away from everyone else wearing torn and tattered clothing, growing their hair out so that they could cover their face and and their mouth and not be seen. And whenever someone would walk by, they were to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that you didn't dare come close to them and catch it from them. And for those of you uh, old enough to remember, it reminds me of how those who contracted the AIDS virus were treated throughout much of the 80s and 90s. We were told that they were to be avoided. Don't don't give them a hug. Don't shake their hand. I made Magic Johnson playing in the All-Star game. An incredible day where we saw it differently. But it kind of helps you see the stigma that those diagnosed with leprosy lived with. They, They lived with a social stigma. They were outcasts. They lived alone, separated from their friends and their family. But they not only had a social stigma, they had a spiritual stigma, as many believe that their condition was a curse. It was brought about by something they had done, a result of their sin, and therefore they were deserving of their suffering. 
They might be asked, what did you do? And here we are 2,000 years later, and the stigmas have not gone away. These stigmas, they continue to exist even within the church. Social stigmas, as those with certain conditions that might make us feel uncomfortable, certain disabilities that might inconvenience us, they are neglected, they are pushed to the margins, they are made to feel unwanted, they are made to feel unwelcome. But we not only cast social stigmas, we cast spiritual stigmas as those with certain pasts are rejected from the church. Those with certain struggles are pushed away. They, they, they brought this on themselves, treating them as though they are somehow deserving of their suffering, that they are responsible for their miscarriage. They are responsible for their depression and anxiety. It's all a result of your lack of faith. If you just had more faith, if you prayed harder, you would see the light. And what gets me is how some of you have been told that by others. I pray to God not in this building. But you've been asked why you lost your child. You've been asked why you need to see a doctor to help with your depression and anxiety. I was asked that. See, we continue to do to others exactly what this culture did to the leper, treating the other as the outsider. And yet, look at what this outsider did. He's got courage. He, uh, he recognized something about this man who passed by with the crowd following. And so he did the unthinkable. He, he did the absolutely unthinkable. He approached Jesus. The law said he was to avoid, but he approached Jesus. And he took a significant risk by coming up to him. He, he's breaking the Mosaic law here. But I want you to notice his posture as he approaches Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't come as one entitled to anything as though he's owed something by him. He, he doesn't come demanding anything as though he's deserving. No, he, he comes in, in humble submission, doesn't he? he? He's dropping to his knees, not just in desperation, but, but bowing out of respect to him. He, he, he says, Lord, which, which could simply be a sign of respect, but... But Matthew almost exclusively uses this word, this title for Jesus to convey divine authority. He's implying that the leper recognized something special about Jesus, something otherly, a supernatural power, if you will, to do the impossible, to cure the incurable. And that's part of the point that Matthew's making here. Stanley Harawas, a, a New Testament professor and ethicist, writes, as Matthew leads us through the story of Jesus' ministry, it will become increasingly clear that outsiders, those without status or power in Israel, that they are more likely to recognize Jesus as Lord. They see something, something that they want, something that they desire. He has what they need. And so he says to Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He, he knows Jesus has the power and the ability. And he, so he's not saying, if you can do it. No, he's saying, if you desire to do it, if it was your will that it be done. He's saying, if you so desire to heal me, I know you have the power to heal me. And like, please, 
please hear him. He, this is not some cover for a weak faith. He, he's not preparing for disappointment. He's not waiting for the other shoe to drop. He's not trying to give Jesus an out in case he doesn't want to. It's not a cover for a weak faith. It's also not a test for a conditional faith. This man's faith is not dependent on Jesus passing a test he's given him or doing what he's demanded of him. This is not a cover for a weak faith. This is not a test for a conditional faith. This is the result of a strong faith. Submissive to the will of Jesus as Lord, crying out, thy will be done and hoping that thy will is to heal him. And so how would Jesus respond to this? I mean, think, Jesus has got to be just a little bit worried about contracting this disease himself, right? Uh, anyway, Jesus can't afford to get leprosy. It would completely derail his mission, his ministry. He can't afford 14 days in quarantine, yet alone the rest of his life. How is he ever going to do what he came to do? Clearly, Jesus is going to rebuke this guy for having broken the law and take off in the other direction, right? Wrong. No, rather than rebuking him, rather than avoiding him, Jesus did the unthinkable. What he did was more unthinkable than what the leper did. It says he stretched out his arm and he touched him. He touched him. This might be the first touch this man has had in months, in years, maybe even decades. Think back to, um, think back to the pandemic. Think back um, to that first hug from that loved one, that, that family member, that friend, after months of being apart. And think about how that felt, how that embrace felt. This human being, created in the image of of God in his own image. This man whose humanity had been denied by others was seen by Jesus. This man who had been rejected by his own community was welcomed by Jesus. This man who was feared by others, he was loved by Jesus. He was touched by Jesus. And in that instant, Jesus gave him everything he had been denied, everything he desired. And that right there, that in and of itself, I think would have been sufficient reason for Matthew to include this story. Giving us a glimpse into the kingdom, giving us a glimpse into the heart of its king, his love, his compassion, but there's more. As Jesus says to the leper, he says, I will. I am willing I want to do this. And so be clean. Showing Jesus not only had the ability to heal him, he had the desire for him to be healed. He wanted this for him. And immediately his leprosy was cleaned. And so what we see here in this story is not only how Jesus embodied God's presence among his people, having descended and dwelling among his people, not only his presence, not only God's love and compassion for his people, but his power, his authority as king, as Lord. But then something interesting happens here in the story, or maybe better said, something interesting doesn't happen. Jesus doesn't contract leprosy. 
Rather than the leper making Jesus unclean, Jesus made the leper clean. As Matthew shows yet again in his gospel how Jesus Jesus does what the law was unable to do. He does what the law was incapable of doing. And if we're honest, what the law was never intended to do. The law was incapable of cleansing. The law was incapable of saving, even in spite of perfect obedience to the law. Right? We heard Paul make this point over and over and over again last year as we went through the book of Galatians. No, instead the law pointed to the one who not only could cleanse but would cleanse. It pointed to someone who not only had the ability to heal the brokenness in our world but the desire to heal, always pointing ahead to Messiah, pointing us to Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's its purpose. And that's what Matthew shows us here in verse 4. He shows us the result of the leper's encounter with Jesus. It's Jesus. He says to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. It sounds a little odd, doesn't it? Like, why is he saying that? It, it, it kind of feels like, you know, maybe Jesus only wants some people, only certain people to be healed and not everybody else. So if you kind of just keep this quiet, they won't know what we're doing over here. Like he's got a little click foreman. I mean, why else do you keep it a secret? Why wouldn't he just be out there healing everybody? because Jesus knew people would misunderstand. They would misunderstand who he was as Messiah, thinking he's just a miracle worker. He's a, a healer. And therefore, misunderstanding why Messiah had come, thinking he had come for our material and political gain and well-being, that he, he came to bring health, wealth, and happiness. Jesus knew people would flock to him. Many would flock to him. He knew few would follow him. Erewas continues to write, Jesus cannot help but display the power that is his. Some of us can't help but trip over our own feet when we walk. Jesus can't help but display his power. But those who would follow him only because he is a person of power will fail to understand the kind of Lord he is. Those who follow him merely for what they think he can do for them in this life will miss out on who he is and why he came. And so what kind of Lord is Jesus? Look at what he says next. He says, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. I love this because Jesus, he came not only to fulfill the law, but he honors the law. Specifically, he's honoring here the laws in Leviticus 14 for the cleansing of lepers, of how they were to be reintroduced to society, of how they would be readmitted back into the community if by some miracle their condition cleared. They were to first be re-examined by a local priest and then to travel to the temple in Jerusalem and make an offering, a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. And so I hope you're beginning to see here how this is so much more than just a story of a leper being healed. See, the result of his encounter with Jesus was not just healing, but restoration. I mean, he, he was restored physically. The blemishes, they went away. The itch and the irritation were gone. The nerve damage somehow miraculously reversed, not gradually over time, but instantly, immediately. But there's more. He was restored socially. 
He's once again able to enter into the city walls, to go into the home of his friends and family, to, to sit at the table and enjoy a meal with them again. He's restored socially. He's also restored spiritually. He's now able to return to the synagogue. He is able to once again participate in the feasts and the festivals, these unifying acts of worship with God's people. The result of his encounter with Jesus is that he was truly cleansed and fully restored. And the same is true of our own encounter with Jesus. We are healed and made well in that we are cleansed of our sin and shame that separates us from God and one another. We are restored in our relationship to God and one another, restored in Christ. And that healing, that cleansing, that restoration, it's not limited to those who are deserving or have earned the right. It's not limited to those who are good enough or have done enough. No, it's offered to anyone who simply recognizes that they are sick and desires to be made well. To anyone who acknowledges their need for a physician, their need for a savior, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you. No matter how far you have strayed or how long you've been away, no matter how many times you've fallen or failed. And that, that is the scandal of grace, isn't it? That is the extent of God's love. Loving those that, if we're honest, we consider unlovely. Desiring those we do not desire. Welcoming those that we believe are unwanted. That is the extent of God's love, love that came down, love that went out into the margins, to the neglected, to the fringes of society, to those who are lost and in need, to those who are rejected with seemingly nothing to offer. He came for you and me. We were the ones that were lost. We were the ones that were unlovely, undesirable, unwelcomed. He came for us. That's the glimpse that we're given here. This glimpse into the kingdom that is come and that will one day come in full when Christ returns. A glimpse into the authority that Jesus has over this kingdom as its king to restore what is broken, to right what is wrong. And a glimpse into those whom he's welcomed into his kingdom. But it's also a glimpse for us into this mission that we have been invited into as followers of Jesus, as loyal subjects to our King Jesus, citizens of his kingdom, praying, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, participating in his healing of the brokenness that exists in our world and his renewing of his once very good creation by loving our neighbor, those whom God has put in our lives and in our path and loving them as ourselves and living in a way that allows all people and all of creation to flourish. Jesus will later on go to give us examples of this, of feeding the hungry, of giving water to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, taking care of the sick, and visiting those in prison, as it says out in our lobby windows. Because what Jesus said is that truly I say to you, as you do these things to the least of these, you do this to me. As we express our love for others, all others without exception, 
and loving them as we love ourselves, wanting for them what we want for ourselves. We are expressing our love to God. We are living out the great commandment that Jesus gave. And so the question for each and every one of us here this morning, not only as individual followers of Christ, but as a body of Christ, how will we respond to this encounter with Jesus? How will you respond to your encounter with Jesus? This offer of cleansing and healing and restoration and this invitation to participate in his kingdom having come, how will you respond? Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.